0: Part One, Chapter Three of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part One, Chapter Three: A Great Gunner. And then began a most exciting sea race. It was now two o'clock in the afternoon, and there were not many hours of daylight left. The captain, after he had done swearing at the stupid gunner who had let off the gun by accident realized that if he did not catch up to the slaver before dark came on, he would probably lose him altogether. For this Jim Bones was a very sly and clever rascal, and he knew the west coast of Africa, it is sometimes called to this day the slave coast, very well. After dark, by running without lights, he could easily find some nook or corner to hide in, or double back on his course and be miles away before morning came so the captain gave orders that all possible speed was to be made these were the days when steam was first used on ships but at the beginning it was only used together with the sails to help the power of the wind of this vessel hms violet the captain was very proud and he was most anxious that the Violet should have the honor of catching Bones the slaver, who for so long had been defying the navy by carrying on slave trade after it had been forbidden. So the Violet's steam engines were put to work their hardest, and thick black smoke rolled out of her funnels and darkened the blue sea and smudged up her lovely white sails humming tight in the breeze. Then the engine boy, also anxious that his ship should have the honor of capturing Bones, tied down the safety valve on the steam engine to make her go faster, and then went up on deck to see the show. And soon, of course, one of the Violet's brand new boilers burst with a terrific bang and made an awful mess of the steam room. But being a full-rigged man-of-war, the Violet was still a pretty speedy sailor. And on she went, furiously ploughing the waves and slowly gaining on the slave ship. However the crafty bones, with so big a start, was not easy to overtake. And soon the sun began to set, and the captain frowned and stamped his feet, for with darkness he knew his enemy would be safe. Down below among the crew the man who had fired the gun by accident was having a terrible time all his companions were setting on him and mobbing him for being such a duffer to warn bones who would now almost certainly escape the distance from the slaver was still too great to use the kind of gun they had in those days but when the captain saw darkness creeping over the sea and his enemy escaping he gave orders to man the guns anyway although he hadn't the least hope that his shots would hit the slaver at that distance Now Speedy the Skimmer, as soon as the race had begun, had come on to the warship to take a rest, and he happened to be talking to the doctor when the order to man the guns came down from the captain, so the doctor and Speedy went below to watch the guns being fired. They found an air of quiet but great excitement there. Each gunner was leaning on his gun, aiming it, watching the enemy ship in the distance, and waiting for the order to fire. The poor man who had been mobbed by his fellows was still almost in tears at his own stupid mistake. Suddenly an officer shouted, Fire! And with a crash that shook the ship from stem to stern, eight big cannon-balls went whistling out across the water. But not one hit the slave ship. Splash! 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 They fell harmlessly into the water. The light's too bad, grumbled the gunners. Who could hit anything two miles away in this rotten light?" Then Speedy whispered in the doctor's ear, "'Ask them to let me fire a gun. My sight is better than theirs for bad light.' But just at that moment the order came from the captain, "'Cease firing!' and the men left their places. As soon as their backs were turned, Speedy jumped on top of one of the guns, and, straddling his short white legs apart, he cast his beady little black eyes along the aiming sights. Then with his wings he signalled to the doctor behind him to swing the gun this way and that, so as to aim it the way he wanted. "'Fire!' said Speedy, and the doctor fired. "'What in thunder's this?' roared the captain from the quarter-deck as the shot rang out. Didn't I give the order to cease firing?" But the second in command plucked him by the sleeve and pointed across the water. Speedy's cannonball had cut the slaver's mainmast clean in two, and brought the sails down in a heap upon the deck. "'Holy smoke!' cried the captain. "'We've hit him. Look, Bones is flying the signal of surrender.' Then the captain, who a moment before was all for punishing the man who had fired without orders, wanted to know who it was that aimed that marvelous shot which brought the slaver to a standstill. And the doctor was going to tell him it was speedy. But the skimmer whispered in his ear, Don't bother, doctor. He would never believe you anyway. It was the gun of the man that made the mistake before that we used. Let him take the credit. They'll likely give him a medal, and then he'll feel better. And now all was excitement aboard the Violet as they approached the slave boat lying crippled in the sea. Bones, the captain with his crew of eleven other ruffians, was taken prisoner and put down in the cells of the warship. Then the doctor, with Zuzanna, some sailors and an officer, went on to the slave ship. Entering the hole they found the place packed with slaves with chains on them and Susanna immediately recognized her husband and wept all over him with joy. The black men were at once freed from their chains and brought on to the Man-O-War. Then the slave ship was taken in tow by the Violet, and that was the end of Mr. Bones' slave trading. Then there was such rejoicing and handshaking and congratulation on board the warship, and a grand dinner was prepared for the slaves on the main deck. But John Dolittle, Zuzanna, and her husband were invited to the officers' mess, where their health was drunk in port wine, and speeches were made by the captain and the doctor. The next day, as soon as it was light, the warship went cruising down the coast again, putting the black people ashore in their own particular countries. This took considerable time, because Bones, it seemed, had collected slaves from a great many different tribes and it was afternoon before the Doctor, with Zuzana and her husband, were returned to John little ship, who still had her lights faithfully burning in the middle of the day. Then the Captain shook hands with the Doctor, and thanked him for the great assistance he had given Her Majesty's Navy, and he asked him for his address in England, because he said he was going to tell the government about him, and the Queen would most likely want to make him a knight or give him a medal or something. But the doctor said he would rather have a pound of tea instead he hadn't tasted tea in several months and the kind they had in the officer's mess was very good so the captain gave him five pounds of the best china tea and thanked him again in the name of the queen and the government then the violet swung her great bow around to the north once more and sailed away for england while the Blue Jackets crowded the rail and sent three hearty cheers for the Doctor ringing across the sea. And now Jip, Dab-Dab, Gub-Gub, Tutu, and the rest of them gathered around John Dolittle and wanted to hear all about his adventures. And it was tea-time before he had done telling them. So the Doctor asked Susanna and her husband to take tea with him before they went ashore. This they were glad to do and the doctor made the tea himself, and it was very excellent. Over the tea Zuzana and her husband, whose name was Begui, were conversing about the kingdom of Fantipo. "'I don't think we ought to go back there,' said Begui. "'I don't mind being a soldier in the Fantippo army, but suppose some other slaver comes along. Maybe the king would sell me again. Did you send that letter to our cousin?' "'Yes,' said Zuzana. But I don't think he ever got it, because no answer came." The doctor asked Zuzana how she had sent the letter, and she explained to him that when Bones had offered a big price for Begui, and the king had been tempted to sell him, she had told the king she would get twelve oxen and thirty goats from a rich cousin in her own country if he would only wait till she had written to him. Now the king of Fantipo was very fond of oxen and goats, cattle being considered as good as money in his land. And he promised Susanna that if she got the twelve oxen and thirty goats in two days' time, her husband should be a free man instead of being sold to the slavers. So Zusanna had hurried to a professional letter-writer—the common people of those tribes couldn't write for themselves, you see—and had a letter written, begging their cousin to send the goats and oxen to the king without delay. Then she had taken the letter to the Fantippo post-office and sent it off. But the two days went by, and no answer came, and no cattle. Then poor Begui had been sold to Bones's men. End of Part 1 Chapter 3